who sings this? Five, four, three, two. Like you got five seconds to tell me, you know, and if you get it right, I, I erupt in celebration. Ding, ding, ding. You know, I mean, it's just kind of my personality. I, I think a lot in terms of games. Welcome to C-Lab, the customer education lab, where we explore how to build customer education programs, experiment with new approaches, and take those myths and bad advice that stop growth dead in its tracks and and uh, cancel them so that they they can't post on Twitter anymore and they can't share those bad takes that they have. I'm Adam Evermescu, and today I'm happy to have Daniel Quick, head of customer education at Asana, join me for a bit of a fireside chat. Welcome, Daniel. Thanks, Adam. It's really great to be here. Yeah, would you like to uh, share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. So I am Daniel Quick. I work at Asana, been there for about a couple of years, and I lead the customer education team. And, you know, Adam, you know this more than most, but before that, you and I worked together at Optimizely. And before that, once upon a time, we worked together at another company called Inspire Learning. Absolutely. I, I remember this. You're, you're bringing it all back to me right now. We'll, we'll dive a little <laughs> bit more into your history as well. And, and you're right to point out we have a shared history together. So that's part of why I'm really excited for us to have a little bit more of a, a freewheeling fireside chat uh, instead of the usual interview format. You and I have known each other for a long time. And I couldn't be more excited to be talking to you, Daniel, on National Shrimp Scampi Day. Oh, wow. Shrimp. Uh, it's not my favorite food i will i will confess okay would you prefer it's national denim day do you prefer that oh absolutely i love a good pair of denim all right so we're here on national denim day to have a freewheeling fireside chat so you know for our audience daniel and i have had a ton of conversations over the years about customer education both when we worked together at optimizely uh and daniel i don't think you you mentioned exactly what you did there but you you led our optimizely academy that's right. uh, as well as other instructional design programs. And then you also mentioned uh, as, a, as your previous life at Inspire Learning, where I worked as an instructional designer and content development, and you worked as creative director. And you also did some psychometric work, right? Yeah. When I first came to Inspire, I was actually hired as a consultant working on a project with you. And my job was to create assessments for the learning experience that we were designing. You're really taking me back. It's so long ago now at this point. Well, we can reminisce a bunch, but I think for our audience, it would be really helpful. Since you've had a number of really interesting careers that led you to your current role, can you tell our audience a little bit about your career and what led you into customer education? Sure. Yeah, I started my career in higher education um, thinking, you know, I was really involved in student activities and I thought one day I'm going to be a dean of students. And so I went to graduate school for that, did that for a little bit discovered I really didn't like it at all. Um, so I went back to graduate school to get um, to study educational psychology. Um, I was just really fascinated with how people learn. And I also really realized I, I love games. And I had this question I was holding on how I could really leverage my interest in games um, and apply it to, to education, to learning. And so that really got me into this whole uh, segment of educational psychology on on games and serious games and even using games for uh, psychological assessments and really that kicked off my career. That's where you and I met at Inspire Learning. We we worked on developing some simulations together that were used in leadership development, 
And uh, I did that for a little bit. After a while, though, I, I decided I really wanted to start my own company. So I moved to San Francisco and started one with my brother. We, we owned a video game design studio and did that for a few years. Uh, we sold that business. And that was when you and I got in touch again. Um, you had a role open at Optimizely for a customer education manager. And you know, I think we both were talking about what a great way to apply my interest in education and technology um, and in games, because um, I think at the time you, you know, you had this idea, like, how can we really inject more game-like elements into learning and make it a more engaging experience? And that they, really they kicked... asked me when I interviewed at Optimizely, they're like, what's one crazy idea that you would implement if you had unlimited resources? And I said, I would make Optimizely the game. <laughs> but um, I had no idea how to actually do that. That's that was that was my crazy idea, and um, I think you were you were probably a lot closer to being able to implement something like that. We had a lot of fun trying. I mean, there's there's something about experimentation that feels very game like. You know, you literally have a winner and a loser. So I think there are a lot of opportunities for us to think about how we can make uh, learning about how to use Optimizely more game like as well. Now, the question that that comes to mind for me right now is. Do you see the entire world in terms of game mechanics? Yeah, it's like the Matrix. I just walk around and there are like game elements everywhere I look. <laughs> no, I I will say though that I I do I, I do confess if you if you speak to people in my in my life who are close to me, I do like to make a game about everything. Um, so. You know, even if it's, I, I do this thing all the time. I think people who know me best even get tired of it where, um, you know, I'll hear, I'll hear a song come on, for example, and then I'll say, you know, who sings this? Five, four, three, two. Like, you've got five seconds to tell me, you know, and if you get it right, I, I erupt in celebration. Ding, ding, ding. You know, I mean, it's just kind of my personality. I, I think a lot in terms of games and they excite me. Yeah, I... I, I know that about you. Um, we had our famous gamification nights at, at Optimizely <laughs> where we'd get the whole team together to... Uh... It's, it wasn't gamification nights. It was gamification with 10 exclamation marks behind it. <laughs> I see. That's the important part of it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how, how was it actually different from a game night? Just because... Well, so we would, we would get together, we would play a board game, and at the end of the game... Um, we would we would evaluate that game in terms of how well they first of all it was a new game usually so how well did they teach us the instructions of the game and then what did we learn by playing that game and how we could apply um, that to the learning we were developing for our customer education program and every once in a while we got some some pretty good little nuggets out of that didn't we yeah I do I do think we did I think it was pretty valuable. I mean, it, it, it devolved over the years into just let's drink and have fun and play games. But uh, I think the core purpose always stayed there and just being mindful about um, what games teach us um, and how we can apply that to the work that we do. I think that, you know, you and I have spoken about this a lot, that whether it's games or psychology, there, there are so many parallel uh, industries and parallel fields that you've drawn in, uh, inspiration from in thinking about your own approach, that having something like that, that's not necessarily at the core of your primary field, right? Like you, you know, all the frameworks for instructional design, but you're often going to get a better and more creative result by, by bringing in a parallel field as well. 
I think that's right. I think that's true of, of anything, really. In fact, funny enough, you're reminding me of a game that um, my cousin and I used to play all the time where we would say two disparate fields, so maybe engineering and dance, and we had to think of an invention um, that somebody who was both an engineering expert and a dance expert might invent that, that bridges those two fields. It's just kind of fun to think about that. Um, I think game games and learning is pretty easy, but there are a lot of uh, really challenging ones that maybe you should, you and I should play that game sometime. Yeah, maybe we'll play it at the end of this episode. You're, you're <laughs> my, it's an improv. There's an improv game that's a lot like that too, where you just I think you say two words, each person says two words at the same time, and then you, you keep doing that, I think, until you get to the same word. Yeah, cool. Yeah. I mean, exactly. Well, um, so we, I, I think I interrupted you. This is a freewheeling conversation. Uh, <laughs> I interrupted you as you were still at Optimizely, but um, maybe you could talk a little bit about then how you got to Asana and, and what you've been doing there since. Sure. So yeah, Optimizely, we had, we had some good times there. I really, really enjoyed that experience, really enjoyed the team. Um, had some, some career defining moments where you know, we got to we got to build our own academy. How fun was that? That was a lot of fun. Ton of fun. And and you know, probably the best example of where I applied some of my own experience in game design um, because it's you're building something, you're designing something, and I was thinking a lot about how to inject some of these game-like elements into the system. So yeah, after a few years, uh, an opportunity came up at Asana to lead their customer education program. And we've, you know, we used Asana as an example of a, a company doing customer education well. So I was thrilled to move to Asana and, and lead the program and have been there for a couple of years now. You, you inherited um, some really cool pieces and then really built upon them, right? Like, so when you joined, the, the Asana guide was around and that was something that was... Uh... I think a very well-respected program or asset, I don't know what you would call it, a well-respected yeah. piece of content in the customer education world, but you've really built a lot of uh, materials around it and on top of it and built more of an ecosystem of customer education at Asana. Yeah, the, Asana's got a really interesting customer education model. You know, it's traditionally, or what I had thought of, about as a conventional customer education program would be sort of the centralized team thinking about all these different channels to do customer education and sometimes struggling to work cross-functionally with other programs, um, with other departments, you know, really trying to convince them about why the work the customer education team is doing is important to them and to the business. At Asana, really, it's, it's about coordinating a lot of different activities happening across a lot of different teams. As, it's, as it happens, there are a lot of different teams thinking about customer education at Asana, and they really brought me in to, to play quarterback um, or a conductor, if you, if, depending on what kind of analogy you prefer. Um, but, you know, over the years, I, I have, <clears throat> I've been there for two years, I mentioned, and we have centralized it a little bit more. Um, my team directly drives a few programs, but... We still work very closely with our marketing team, with our customer service team, with our product teams to really stand up a, a more holistic education ecosystem. Which I think is is really a model for where customer education teams are, are going largely. You can't be customer education in a vacuum these days and 
I mean, certainly there are education services teams that run on a PNL and control their own destiny, but customer education is just becoming more and more interdependent with, with other teams in the organization. So, you know, if you think about like the disk model, you're can't, you can't run a program on pure dominance anymore. You really have mm-hmm. to flex more, more influence, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, it, it I do feel fortunate. It's very, it, it's helpful that um, I don't need to explain the value of customer education to these other teams. Uh, they know the value, they understand the value. It's really, you know, our, my team is really a center of excellence around education, and we advise a lot of other teams on how to um, how to to do education in their programs and to do it well. But it's it's um, it's a relief that I'm not sort of scrambling to try to get resources or to find to convince people that what we're doing has value. Yeah, that's got to be music to a lot of people's ears. Yeah. <laughs> so. Thinking about that center of excellence concept, then, you know, I, I know you're you're constantly on top of what learning science and theory has to say, and you've taught me quite a few things over the years. One thing that I know that you're very passionate about is the idea of engagement. Mm-hmm. So when you think about the learning science and the, the learning theory behind what, what creates an engaging experience, what frameworks uh, or concepts do you refer to when you're designing experiences? Yeah. It's, you know, it's true. I, I, I'm a geek when it comes to learning science. Um, and, you know, I, I, there's a few models that I have kind of enjoyed playing around with. Um, Gagne's Nine Steps and Plume's Taxonomy and, and whatnot. There, there are lots of different things that I find really interesting. But if you really look at the, the kind of work that I've really tried to do, it, it all points back to creating engaging learning, like really focused on how you can make this learning experience more entertaining, more engaging, more enjoyable. And really the research is clear that, you know, making learning more engaging, engaging students in the learning process, it it increases their attention, their motivation, and therefore their recall. So that's why I'm always coming back to it. Uh, it's also part of my DNA. I'm looking for ways to to make things more fun, um, more compelling. Um, how how can you make how can you design a learning experience to get someone to come back for more? So in some ways, I really think of myself as both an educator and a marketer because marketing is all about influence, and I want to use education to influence behavior. You that know, makes one of a lot of sense. I mean, I'm just thinking about that as, as you're as you're saying it. As as learning professionals, we don't always think of ourselves as marketers, and we don't always think of ourselves as as influencing. Like I think a lot of the time we can get very much in our our buckets of this is how it should be done, um, this is how it should be structured, and we don't actually think about um, the fact that we're kind of responsible for for driving learning outcomes sometimes through persuasion or influence. Yeah, I think we sit right at that intersection, and um, you know, it's it's tempting to lean really heavily into learning science and learning theories, um, but if you stray too far from the, the the marketing thread that's sort of woven into customer education, the craft of customer education, if you if you stray too far from being mindful about how to create an experience that influences behavior, that engages people, that makes them um, thirsty for more, then you know, you might, you might have a sound 
instructionally designed experience, but maybe not necessarily one that's going to um, entice customers to to complete it or and to ask themselves, how can I get more of this? So does that mean like fun and, and entertainment are, are important here? Or how do you think Absolutely. about that? Absolutely. Yeah, I actually 100% think fun and entertainment is important here. I I actually wonder if there's a way to, I mean, I, I, I find myself flipping the premise um, a bit. A lot of people think about how can you create an experience grounded in learning science? Um, and that's not really the first question I'm asking. I'm, I'm asking how can I create an experience that's delightful and that is engaging? And then also use instructional design to make sure that it's an effective learning experience as well. But what comes first for me is this, this idea that uh, the learning experience has to be engaging and entertaining and, and fun in some way. Because, you know, customers are, are people who are not compelled to take your training. And, you know, you really, above everything else, if you think that the, the education, the training has value to the customer, you really want them to, to not see this as a painful experience, but rather as something that they're really enjoying. Um, they're enjoying the experience while they're learn, learning your product. So it sounds like you you really have to almost equally weight the educational experience with the entertainment experience. Is that what I hear you saying? Yeah, that's exactly right. So you've mentioned that, you know, in the learner's learner's context, they are busy, they're distracted, they're trying to do their job. So how do you how do you address that then in terms of capturing their attention and making sure that that everything's relevant? Yeah, I mean, I think first uh, it's important to just recognize that you know the the learner, the customer, they're they're human beings. Like the rest of us, we are busy, we're distracted, um, we have a lot going on in our lives, Um, and so it's it's really important. It's on us really to to grab their attention from the get go and and make it very clear that what they're about to learn is highly relevant to them. It's by committing a few minutes of time, it's going to be worthwhile for them. It's going to be an invaluable experience for them. Um, and I do mean a few minutes, by the way. I, th- I think that uh, engaging learning is is bite-sized. It's digestible. Um, you should be able to complete a lesson or activity in just a few minutes. And, and there should be frequent points where you can pause or you can keep going. Um, I think so that's really important. We're, we're going to get angry letters here. Um, <laughs> Learning in just a few minutes. How do you how do you condense? I can imagine someone saying this. That might be okay for Asana or for something that has you know really light digestible learning objectives. But what about for my complex software or my complex product? Yeah, I mean, complexity is is definitely like is definitely going to make it so that your your journey, your learning journey is likely going to take a, a bit longer. But you structure that journey in layers, right? Just like any kind of learning experience, um, you get through the very top layer. Um, and um, and once someone has mastered 
uh, that layer, then you introduce the next layer and you get deeper and deeper into that complexity. And if you even, if you think about these layers that are stacked on top of each other, and then you go to the very top layer or any layer, pick, pick any one of them, you can really divide each of those layers up into smaller parts as well. Um, so that as you're making your way through that layer, you have, let's say this layer has three key concepts, uh, take it one at a time. And each of those key concepts might even have, um, you know, three smaller lessons that can be con con created to, to really uh, underscore the, the, the parent concept. So it's kind so, of about like chunking and, and exactly. scaffolding in a way. So you can take these really complex topics and if you're chunking them correctly, then they can actually be scaffolded into those different layers like, like you've talked about. That's right. So, you know, it's not, I'm not, I'm not proposing that you just boil down a really complex lesson into a two minute video, um, but rather you're thinking about how to weave together smaller bite-sized digestible pieces of that learning into a, a, a greater learning experience by using yeah. chunking, as you say. And so, you know, you mentioned video as a modality, but what, what else do you kind of recommend using here to yeah. vary it up? Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's 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 important to to vary it up, right? It's you got to mix things up a little bit. So I think about um, different types of formats to use. Maybe we'll put a uh, a short a short video. We'll lead with that. Maybe with someone who's um, talking, like a talking head video. And that might be followed up with a learn more text lesson with might that might have a couple images embedded in it. Maybe that's followed up by an activity. Um, maybe even that's followed up by uh, participate in a discussion. So there's, you know, it's really trying to put the learner in an active role, if possible, asking them to, to do something. And I also think maybe occasionally trying to surprise them as well. So maybe somewhere in there, you know, here's a, a super valuable uh, downloadable resource for you. Um, surprise, you know, that's a, that's a nice thing to do as well. Yeah, that, that definitely, it, it mixes up the monotony of feeling like, okay, I'm going through a learning experience and I'm clicking next. I'm going through a learning experience, I'm clicking next. If there's nothing to vary the, the pace or the cadence of that, um, or if there isn't a moment of, of surprise or delight, then things can start to feel uh, like a very flat landscape. Exactly. It's, you got to do something that's, I mean, in my opinion, I feel like the most effective learning experiences have some delight injected into them, something that they weren't expecting, um, even if it's something whimsical or funny, like an animation. Um, but like I said, it could also be maybe a downloadable worksheet or it could be a um, find your style or a personality quiz or something. I and mean, the point is really it's it's unexpected. It's a surprise. Um, it's that moment when the learner thinks, oh, I didn't know that was going to happen. And, and you've hooked them as a result. Yeah. So we've been talking about this from the learner's perspective, which, you know, it's always the place that we want to start. But let's think about our learning experience designers or our instructional designers. How, how have you structured that design process to be more effective or engaging in terms of the content that's put out? So it, that always starts with uh, with convention setting. It's always number one thing to do is to set conventions with your learning design team. So you, you have to get together, have a conversation and identify some principles of, of learning. Like what is your approach to learning? What's going to define your instructional design at your company? So we have 
this document um, at Asana, we and our team has clarity uh, around the principles um, that we've identified. You know, some of the things that we have in our principles, as um, as I mentioned, we we focus on bite-sized chunks of learning. Um, these these smaller pieces of learning need to be spaced out, um, and they need to uh, we need to mix up the content so that we're not just doing video followed by video followed by video. We need to look for opportunities to engage the learner with interactive exercises. So like we're always asking, how can we pull the learner into this? So that's one of our guiding principles. Uh, we believe strongly in using talking heads to make uh, the lesson feel more personal. So if you watch some of the, or if you take any of the courses that we take, we have a lot of, of talking heads involved. Remember we even uh, did that at, at Optimizely too. We built those those video bumpers. You could You could meet members of the team as you were going through this learning experience and kind of make it more human. In fact, actually, we we didn't do that at first. And then we went back and, and added these bumpers at the beginning of all of our courses where you had someone framing this course and just doing a one minute introduction. And it, it really improved engagement with the content. So yeah, it, it huge, worked. Huge difference, even if it's not a, a, a super, super heavy lift. Now you mentioned interactivity a moment ago, and and if I if I may veer with you for a moment, you and I debate this a lot. Like, how closely is the idea of interactivity or interactive exercises, I guess, as you described it? How how closely is that tied to the idea of making learning engaging? I think it's key, really. I mean, it's it's so important to get the learner involved. It's, it, you'll, you ask people, I, you know, how, how do you prefer to learn? Now, I know there's a lot of science that, um, that, you know, debunks this theory about learning styles. I'm a visual learner. I'm an audio learner. I'm a kinesthetic learner. What's important really is that you're, you're mixing it up and that you're using the right style appropriately. But nevertheless, you're going to have a lot of people who will tell you, I learn best when I'm doing something, when I'm actually involved. And so it's very important, in my opinion, to, to craft these moments where you're asking the learner to apply what they've learned or to do something that's, that's beyond just watching a video or, or reading some text to get involved really. And that it's actually really sound instructional design as well, because if you think about Bloom's taxonomy, you're really going beyond asking someone to just remember these facts that you're throwing at them, but rather you're asking them to apply this learning to a novel situation or, or whatnot. It's, so it's really consolidating that, that lesson as well. So in my opinion, it's got multiple benefits. It's better learning and it's more engaging. Yeah, I remember when you were you were looking at uh, it was a draft chapter of my book, and it was the one on instructional design. And I remember you and I were sitting in a room, I think, and we were kind of mapping out the the structure of the chapter. And you were you were saying you're like I've noticed that you're making a lot of assumptions here about interactivity and its role in creating something that is instructionally effective. Like, how closely do you think those two topics are? are tied together. And it sounds like based on what you're saying that from your point of view, it's they're, they're very intimately tied together. They're, they're super connected. Absolutely. <laughs> that was a fun conversation. I, I remember one of the things I remember, um, and I actually can't remember if this made it in your book, uh, but you, you had some, 
some ideas about interactivity and and kind of the the tendency for us to um, to to over rely on things like a Jeopardy style quiz show. <laughs> Do you I was, that? Oh yeah, no, I took out that part. I railed against okay. Jeopardy for like three <laughs> paragraphs, and it, it went for, away. It's like for a whole page, you're railing against Jeopardy games. It was so funny, and I my my point was like, what's so wrong with the Jeopardy game? I mean. Maybe it's not the most creative use of interactivity, but um, it's it's still getting users, getting learners involved in the process. And for a lot of people, I think you'll ask them and they'll say it's kind of fun. Yeah, I mean, for it, it's certainly more fun than not doing any sort of interactivity or not doing any sort of game. And I think where we landed on that after debating it a little bit was... Well, it also depends, you know, you mentioned Bloom's taxonomy a moment ago. It really depends on what you're testing. Like Jeopardy is a fun, interactive way to test knowledge, but it's not necessarily an effective way to test higher order skills or to make those interactive. So I think like what really was, was grating on me when I wrote that paragraph, and you know that I'm prone to just go off on, on rants and tangents against whatever might be annoying me at the moment, but I I guess that was annoying me at the moment because, (laughs) um, it's that people over rely on it as a way to create interactivity in a way that's inappropriate as far as what the learning objective actually is. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes perfect sense to me. So let's, let's talk about the team, Daniel. Like I, Mm. we, Dave and I have talked before on this show about what makes for a good customer education, instructional designer, but uh, Mm -hmm. how do you, how do you kind of build your team around this? Yeah. I, I, I approach this, I think I approach this maybe differently than some people do um, based on some conversations I've had. Um, I, you know, I obviously I do try to find people on my team who are in, in pa- who are passionate about instructional design. Um, I like to call um, a call us. We're, we're a team of learning geeks, really. And I'm looking for someone who's also a, a learning geek um, who loves to kind of get together and talk about learning science and figure out what's the best instructional design approach here. But I'm, I'm also looking for someone and probably even more so looking for someone who is super learner centric. So, so super empathic to the learning experience and is not so beholden to learning theory as to forget the practical experience here. So it's really important, I think, to find teammates who express deep empathy with our customers um, and with the user experience and uh, is always thinking about the stuff that I think is important, which is how can we make this experience more enjoyable for the end users? Uh, so that's really, you know, in, in when we're looking for teammates at Asana, we're, we're kind of looking for that um, magical balance between someone who's a learning geek and someone who um, really gets how to delight our customers. Well, let's talk about delight. So, you know, we, we've been talking about this quite a bit. Um, I think everyone has some different definitions of delight, but what, what really makes for a delightful experience in learning? Yeah, I mean, the, the word delight's thrown around a lot, isn't it? It's, it's probably overused, um, but I use it. I find myself using it all the time, nevertheless. Um, and uh, I think, you know, you probably have different definitions of delight. That's probably one reason why people consider it kind of jargon. It's, it's probably not clearly defined in most people's heads. Um, you might have different definitions coming up when you ask people. But 
uh, I think the definition of delight that I respond to the most is to be delighted is to be pleasantly surprised. So a delightful experience is, is an experience that simply exceeds your expectations. And that's really what I'm looking for when I, when, when I design a learning experience is how can I make this experience exceed the learner's expectations? So then from a, from a very practical standpoint, how do you do that as you're instructionally designing materials? Yeah, you, you got to look for ways to craft moments of surprise. So one thing that, that I recommend you do is you start by creating a touch point map of, of where your customers are engaging with your learning experiences. So that might be your course detail page. Um, it might be a, a, a quiz you've developed. It might even be the page where your users register for a training webinar. Um, so wherever it is, you, you put on your empathy hat and you ask, what is the customer expecting in this experience? And you write that down. And then you put on your observational hat and you, you, you ask yourself, okay, what is the customer actually experiencing here? And you write that down. And then finally, you know, you put on your critical hat and you evaluate how this experience, the way it's your, the way the customers are actually experiencing it, how is that meeting what their expectations are about the experience? So the goal really is, is you're, you're looking for experiences that um, exist today that are, as it turns out, are below expectations uh, and you want to improve those obviously. And then you also want to look for opportunities to um, to make an experience exceed expectations. So, you know, that course detail page might be, you know, what does an experience, what does a customer expect there? Um, okay, the experience that actually exists is pretty much what they expect. What can I do then to to bring it to that next level so that it's actually exceeding their expectations? Yeah, that makes sense. It's based in an idea. You, you, you can't know how to exceed expectations until you've actually mapped out what the expectations are. It's like doing a performance review. Yeah, exactly. So how do you, how do you actually do that? Like, yeah. how do you think about all these ideas and ways to delight customers? You got to have a, a delight toolbox is what, what I like to call it. It's something that you can just reach into and when you're designing a learning experience and, and, and pull out a, a delight technique. So, you know, these, those, two, those, those tools, they might look different for you depending on your company or, or the topic you're trying to teach. But I do think there are some, uh, there's some pretty common ones that everyone can use. And I actually did a webinar on Delight with Skilljar where I outlined 12 tools. Um, but there are, there are some that come to mind that I can talk about here if, if that makes sense. Yeah, let's, let's talk about a few. Okay. Well, so one of the most effective tools is to under promise and over deliver. And I know that most of your listeners might think that sounds like a cliche, uh, but it's actually a really useful practice. So let's say you finish a course and you get a course complete email. Maybe you link out to a super helpful downloadable resource in that email that learners didn't even know would be part of the learning experience. So you didn't actually say, as part of this course, you will receive this downloadable resource at the end or whatnot. That might have been a, a helpful thing to include. I know people are going to say that. Um, it might have enticed people to enroll in the course. But I actually would argue that by 
um, not including it and leaving it as a, a moment of delight, you've, um, you've crafted this moment that has surprised your learners and potentially enticed them to consume more of your content. In, yeah, in it's sort of like uh, it, it's a different mindset to approach building content and building courses in, right? Because we're we're programmed in some ways to think, oh, I have to give as accurate a summary as possible, and if that's your your frame that you're approaching the course design with or the landing pages design with, then you might miss something that might have actually been more effective from the learner's point of view in terms of their experience. Yeah, exactly. So. <sighs> I'm trying to think of another tool. So another tool is to, uh, here's another one that I like, is just to activate the senses. So the gist of this is simple, and it's actually one of the more easier tools to grasp. So how do you create an experience that activates the senses? So ask yourself the next time you build a course or you develop a training session, what can you do to juice this up? And it might just be adding a little music, um, we did this recent change to our, our um, training webinars where we, we asked our participants to break out into smaller rooms. And then um, when they came back, they had to share. Well, when they came back from the breakout rooms, we started playing this music, um, waiting for everybody to kind of get back. And we've heard from our participants that they love the music. And these are we have a whole playlist of it. Um, someone on my team, Carla, she developed this playlist and it's really just like TV theme songs essentially, but people are loving it. So music, a splash of color, it could be a small animation. Um, if you're doing classroom training, it could be a prop. Um, so really it's just stimulating what you can see, what you can hear, et cetera, activating the senses. Absolutely. That's, that's a great one. And, and it makes it more, you know, we talk about experiential learning, activating the senses is part of what makes something experiential. Yeah, it really, it really brings the, the person, it's, it immerses the person into uh, the learner into the experience more, I think, for sure. Yeah. And now I suspect another one that you might have in your toolbox here is the idea of play and of game-like elements. And I want to come back to that in a moment because I know you have a ton to say on games and gamification. But before we do that, I would just love to hear, do you have examples of delightful learning experiences that you've seen in the wild? And and maybe let's talk about what makes them delightful. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'll actually give you one of more, my more recent examples. Um, there's an app called Elevate. Have you have you heard of it? Well, I think this is the one you introduced to me, right? It's like the, oh, the okay. one where they ask you... Uh, they ask you like trivia questions and you have to like, write, <laughs> write things in there? Um, kind of. Yeah, I probably did introduce it to you because I seem to be talking to a lot of people about it. I, I just think it's awesome. I love it. It's a it's a brain training program. Um, it's <clears throat> designed to improve your focus, your speaking skills, your math abilities. And uh, I just think it's so clever how they, they leverage um, game design principles, essentially. Um, no, going back to game, but that's it's it's such a delightful experience because your your training program is really personalized, and and the program adjusts difficulty as you progress, and then it rewards this progression with proficiency badges and all of these little mini games that you that you play, which really do. I swear to God, they really do um, help you with your math abilities and speaking abilities. Um, they're each different, and they're all crafted in a way that really activates the senses and, and taps into your intrinsic motivation to improve. So 
that's one of my favorite more recent experiences that I just think, you know, here I am taking time out of my day every day to do math and I'm having so much fun doing it because it's just such a delightful way to do it. I feel like you should be the commercial for Elevate. Do they have a pitch? <laughs> I know. Maybe if they if they if they listen to this, they'll contact me and um, I can start getting a commission to all the all of my friends that I've sent over to them. Perfect. Maybe a referral code at the very least. <laughs> um, any other examples that you want to share of delightful experiences? Uh, well. I mean, I, if I can toot my own horn, I, I could definitely point to some of Asana's own customer education content. As a, if I had as one of those soundboards, like <laughs> radio DJs, I would insert the, the horn, like one of those. Okay, there you, <laughs> you could always go in post-production and do that. Yeah. Um, Although I think Dave will probably pull this one for the cold open. So I see. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we've um, we've we've obviously we've made a very conscious effort to create delightful content. So our our content is is colorful. It's got a music in it. It's uh, you know bite sized and relatively digestible. Um, if you if you check out our how to Asana videos, for example, um, we've developed in in collaboration with our our brand team. We've developed these intros and outros and. We weave in this uh, music and colorful visuals. This the the person speaking has colorful hair. Usually, she has a different color hair in each one. Um, and we always do lead with the person framing the content because we think that's important. And we always keep it under two minutes. So you know what's what's great about that approach is um, we not only have a piece of learning content that is useful for new users in like an academy course, but we also just as easily we can send it in a marketing campaign or we can embed it in an article or a blog or, or even surface it in the product. So we've been really intentional about developing delightful content that can be used across channels. Yeah, I think y'all do a really, really great job of that and making everything kind of modular in that sense. But modular doesn't really give you credit for how delightful it actually feels. Thank you, Adam. That means a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we said we would come back to games. Uh, yeah. The idea of games play and gamification, yeah. maybe for about five minutes, just trying to be sensitive to time here. Um, let's talk about the role of gamification in games in customer education. Okay, let's talk about it. So what what is the role of gamification in customer education? Well, yeah, I mean, be, before I answer that, I, I do think it's it's important to distinguish gamification from game-based learning because they, they are often and commonly confused. So uh, if I can just take a little time to define it, gamification, you hear this term a lot. It's really about borrowing elements that are commonly found in games and then putting them in non-game contexts. So a common game mechanic used in gamification might might be points or badges or leaderboards. You hear that all the time, those PBLs. PBLs. That's yeah. right. So the purpose of gamification is, is not about playing games or even having fun, really. It's about applying game-like mechanics to, to encourage specific behavior. It's, it's essentially a system of carrot and sticks. And you find it all over the place, really, from fitness apps to um, to even LinkedIn's profile creator. That's one that's that's often talked about. So game game based learning, on the other hand, in contrast to gamification, is is actually learning through a game. So 
if you use a Kahoot's quiz, for example, you use that strategically at the end of a lesson. That's an example of game game based learning because you're using an actual game to further learning. Um, or if you have the resources, you can create a simulation like the one that you and I created at Inspire Learning. So that's game based learning as well. So you're designing a game. You did the uh, the management challenge in the jungle, right? Yeah, exactly. Vivian's quest for the crown, coaching crown, or coaching, something like that. Coaching crown. That's how I learned a lot about coaching. Actually, <laughs> writing that course. Yeah, you you became a the subject matter expert on the team. Um, so, yeah. So you're you know in game based learning, you're designing a game for students to play, where the goal of the game is aligned with the learning outcomes. So. So back to your question, I, I think the role of both gamification and game-based learning in customer education is to motivate learners through a game design thinking and techniques. And in both cases, game elements are meant to, to make the experience more engaging by, by tapping into our inner motivational drives. That, that makes a lot of sense, and it kind of ties back to the idea of educational psychology that you were talking about earlier. If, if gamification or if game-like experiences are are working correctly, they really are. They're, they're almost like psychological tools. That makes mm -hmm. it sound not very fun. But <laughs> in actuality, they are fun. Um, and and there's certainly, there's a lot of good research too out there around the role of games and, and gamification in learning. Uh, Carl Kopp comes to mind, K-A-P-P. -P. Mm -hmm. um, he's, yep. he's done a lot of good writing on this too. But one thing I've noticed is, you know, even though certainly he and others are continuing to do good research here, it, it seems like I'm not hearing as much about games and gamification and learning as we were maybe a few years ago. So mm. what do you think that chalks up to? Is it is it no longer novel? Is it better integrated into the, the core of customer education? Was it a was it a passing mm -hmm. fad? Yeah, I mean I I think that it's um it was definitely a, a hot topic a few years ago, and I think over the years it's become uh, it's kind of fallen on the list of hot topics over time, hasn't it? Um, well, I mean, I think it's it's become pretty common now, so it's you know it's not as novel as it used to be. So that's certainly one reason why we don't hear as much about it. You, you see gamification in so many places now. Um, it's it's pretty common in learning management systems. It's it's almost unusual not to have some kind of gamification option involved. So I think that um, you know it's it's pretty wild. I think it's pretty widely accepted that that gamification is a useful way to encourage behavior. Um, so it's it's not as as a as a novel topic anymore about, you know, is this something that can really help? But honestly, I, I also think there's another reason here, which is that um, gamification for many organizations hasn't really met expectation. It's, it's, it wasn't it's a silver bullet that uh, it was touted. That it was promised to be. Yeah. It's, it's a technique that it sounded so promising, um, but it, in practice it, it fell kind of flat. Um, and, and honestly, I think that has more to do with, with how people have implemented gamifications than it does with the technique itself. Because most people don't really approach it strategically. They just superficially throw some of those PBLs, those points, badges, and leaderboards. They just, they just throw it at a problem and expect a miracle without really taking the time to mindfully integrate gamification into the learning experience. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like to draw an analogy, like putting PBLs in and saying you have gamification is like putting a subject matter expert lecturing for an hour online and saying you have e-learning. Exactly. 
And, you know, you, you were saying earlier how you think gamification makes things more fun, and, and that's the idea. But you can't use gamification to get people to do things that they don't want to do. That's not really, that's not really how it works. Yeah. Um, so if it's not necessarily a, about like forced motivation, then, then what role is gamification playing now? Are we going to start hearing about it more again? Well, it definitely is about motivation. It's just not going to force you to do things you don't want to do. It's, but rather it's going to, um, it's going to nurture you uh, along a path of, of activities that um, you likely are, are intrinsically motivated by anyway. But I, I also think there's a, a, new, um, a new way that people are using gamification that I'm actually kind of excited about. And I think we're going to start hearing more about gamification again as a result. So as customer education professionals, we, we talk a lot about attribution and about reporting and how we can better understand the impact of our programs on learning and, and then the impact of learning on our business. And as it turns out, gamification has a really interesting role there in reporting. Um, you can tell a lot about how your learners are performing at a glance by, by paying attention to, to badges they learn, uh, they earn, for example. Um, so, you know, we, we are at Asana, we're creating a system where, um, as an example, where users can, can earn these workflow badges by completing certain behaviors. And earning the badges is a gamified system for learners that encourages them or motivates them to complete these behaviors. But it's going to be such, I, what I'm really excited about is it's going to be such a handy reporting system for our business because we can easily see how many people have mastered certain workflows by the badges that they have earned. Yeah, uh, what I like about that a lot is is the idea that here you're not just kind of like slapping together a bunch of game elements in a way that is is just like layered upon learning. It's not like edutainment, quote unquote, but you're actually tying the idea of gamification to meaningful actions that you want to drive and that you want to report on. And that's the idea. There's got to be intention there. It's got to be meaningful. Yeah, absolutely. So I know we've we've talked a little bit at this point about good versus bad gamification, but uh What's your favorite game to play during quarantine? <laughs> uh, well, I actually play um, the same kinds of games that I play outside of quarantine too. Um, although I think I've had more time to, to get more immersed in story-based games. But one of my favorite games that I play all the time and have been playing for years is League of Legends. Have you heard of that game? I have. I have. You've told me about it too. Pretty popular game. I've been playing for years. Um, and, um, you know, on the topic of gamification, it's kind of interesting. They, they have the core game, obviously. It's a, it's a, um, a multiplayer online battle arena, League of Legends, if, you're, if you haven't heard of it. Um, and over the years, they've actually added a lot of gamification to the game. It's so, so there's the game itself, but then outside the game, um, there's some other stuff that they've added on. So, for example... League of Legends, it's a cooperative game. You, you play on a team. Um, I don't have friends who play it, so I'm always matched up with a team of strangers. And uh, that kind of setup is a, a breeding ground, as you can imagine, for pretty toxic behavior. You're playing with a bunch of strangers who you never will talk to again. And if you mess up, they, they kind of get on your case. <laughs> um, well, several, several years ago, League of Legends introduced what's called the honor system. So at the end of the game, you can nominate someone on your team who played honorably. And the more honor points you get from other players, the cooler rewards you can unlock. So it's essentially they've used 
a, a gamification element to motivate good behavior during their primary, their core game. And I think that's pretty cool. That is, that's, that's super cool. I've, I've been playing, uh, I, I got a Nintendo Switch recently, and so I've been uh, getting into, I, I haven't had a console in a really long time, so I'm enjoying getting back into some of these games like uh, Zelda Breath of the Wild. Mm, I so want that game. I do not have a Switch. I am purchasing one for my partner's birthday in June. Hopefully um, this podcast won't spoil that, but um, yeah, what's the first game we're going to get is that is that Zelda game. Well. We'll keep this podcast under wraps for, for the moment. But uh, Daniel, thank you so much for this conversation. It was great um, you know, talking about some of the things that you and, you and I talk about off mic, but uh, yeah, in, it's in like a one-on-one. Audience, so, to speak. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so where else can our audience go to find out about you or about Asana? So if you want to find out more about our uh, Asana customer education programs, just check out our Asana guide. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's really a, a, a portal for all of our other educational programs. Um, so you can check that out and you're always welcome to contact me and ask me any questions you want or, or I often set up time to just chat with people about customer education programs. And you can contact me on LinkedIn. Uh, LinkedIn, Daniel Quick, I think it's literally like in slash Daniel Quick. That's how you can find me. Perfect. Well, Daniel, thank you so much for taking the time to talk. Um, And I really appreciated this conversation. It was a pleasure. Adam, it's always great talking with you. And uh, thanks again for inviting me to your podcast. I've been wanting to come on for some time. Well, I'm glad we finally made it happen. And audience, if you want to learn more, we have a podcast website at https colon slash slash customer.education where you can find show notes and other material on twitter i am at evermescu daniel are you on twitter i'm not on twitter believe it or not all right well (laughs) linkedin it is then (laughs) special thanks to ellen coda for our theme music and if this helped you out you can help us out by subscribing in your podcatcher of choice or leaving us a review on apple podcasts those two things really 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 help expose our podcast to other people so do it please do it do it while you're in quarantine And to our audience, thanks for joining us. Go out and educate, experiment, and find your people. Thanks for listening.